Today, we are doing a different type of episode on the podcast where we interview one of our coaches here at Run for PRs. Today, we will be chatting with Coach Brianna, who has been coaching with Run for PRs for over two years now, and she has helped dozens of athletes hit new PRs during that time. But that isn't all that she has been doing over the last two years. In the spring of 2021, she got pregnant and gave birth to her first child in February of 2022. Since giving birth less than one year ago, she rehabbed, came back, and ran her first ever full marathon in a blazing time of 2.42. I'm really impressed with her postpartum comeback and her marathon debut, and I thought it would be fun to interview her with her story about her running career and highlighting the excitement of the past year with her postpartum running journey. So before we get started, Brie, um, is there anything that you would like to share about the recent marathon that you ran? I know we're going to get into it a little bit more later in this podcast, but I know it's kind of fresh in the mind and sometimes it's fun to kick things off with sharing something recent. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me. I'm really excited just to share my story. Um, It's definitely become more of a passion of mine, helping other pregnant runners or new moms just to get back to that fitness and reach their goals. So thank you. Um, CIM was insane and crazy and exciting. And I can see why I have so many athletes cross the finish line and say, I want to sign up for another one because (laughs) that's exactly how I felt. Um, It was such a great experience and I'm excited to get into it a little bit later. Yeah, it was really fun to be tracking you and it's fun to go through those experiences because I know that sometimes as a coach, when you had athletes prior to your pregnancy and postpartum comeback, I'm sure that you coached other women who were moms or who had young children and now it's almost like you can relate to them on a new level being there and going through it yourself absolutely definitely so let's just dive into some of your running background because 242 for your first marathon is incredible so what type of pace is that for the marathon Ooh, that is a good question i want to say it was six 12 okay or 613 per mile so low sixes right somewhere right in that like 610 615 pace range which is pretty fast so a lot of people are probably thinking okay you've probably been running your whole life or you have a lot of talent something along those lines but let's dive into a little bit more on your background so you're from a small town in wisconsin is that correct that is correct yes i'm from spring valley wisconsin originally Yeah. And did you grow up on a farm or tell me a little bit about your family life and what it was like growing up in your house? So I grew up the youngest of four children. I have three older brothers and grew up on a dairy farm. So I feel like that played a huge role in just developing uh, my work ethic and my desire to be active and set goals. Um, I did grow up on a dairy farm, so it was a lot of hard work. But my parents were really supportive of us trying to try everything, whether it was sports, theater, art. So all of my brothers and I played multiple sports, but I was the only runner in the family. And I 
haven't convinced anyone to try running yet, but um, it was kind of special to have that be my own thing that I was able to experience and try out and carry forward into my adulthood now. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure growing up on a farm, there is so much manual labor that's involved with being in that lifestyle. And I feel like not a lot of people have that background anymore. You don't hear oftentimes that people grew up on a farm anymore. So were there any lessons or did your parents have you do like a lot of farm chores growing up? Or what was it kind of like as a child? Because you also mentioned you did a lot of sports. So you guys must have been working hard all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I kind of joke now. Um, so now I live in the suburbs. Um, I still hold on to that country lifestyle as much as I can and have aspirations of having my daughter experience at least tastes of what I had growing up um, because I do value it so much. But I do joke that um, high school, middle school me could probably kick adult me's butt as far as being tough and gritting out bad weather, because growing up, like we would have to go out and we'd milk cows before we'd go to school, um, get home from school, get home from sports practice. And depending on, you know, what time it was, the cows still had to be milked. So we would go back out to the barn and, um, usually that was, oh gosh, that was usually a couple hours per milking at least. So there was definitely a lot of hard work and, you can't really take a break from doing that. You can't just decide that the cows don't need to be milked that day. Um, so I feel like it taught me a lot about self-discipline as well. But um, my parents were really great about allowing us the opportunity to do sports. And being the youngest, maybe I was a little more spoiled with my opportunity <laughs> to do sports as well. Um, being the youngest and the only girl, it did have its perks. Um, so my brothers are five years and seven years older. So by the time that I got into high school and was really, um, pursuing cross country basketball and track, they were actually in college and they went to college about 30 minutes away and an hour away. So if I had a cross country event or a basketball game, they were so generous that they would do their best to come back and actually milk for my parents so my parents could be present and cheer me on wow okay yeah so you guys were all like as a family you had to milk all the cows because sometimes um just depending on like the size of the farm you probably know this I know that people will maybe like hire out people to do the cow milking or sometimes there's like machinery that I don't know really the the complexities (laughs) of a dairy farm but so you guys like actually were going out there rain or shine every day someone in your family had to do it so that is that's intense yeah especially if you're trying to throw in sports yeah we were um once it was just me and my parents my brothers were in college we did hire um a couple other high school age students to help out at the farm just because it was a lot, especially if I was still doing sports and gone at school all day. Um, so we did start hiring help probably in like 2010. Wow. Um, but really it would be, you know, one or two people at first. Um, now that my brothers and I are all adults and have our own families, it looks a little bit different, but I'm actually... I'm really grateful that one of my brothers and his family is going to be taking over the farm. So it's actually transitioning over the next few years from my dad to him. 
Wow, yeah, that's really cool to hear a little bit about the background there. And I'm sure just having that discipline of having to go out and milk the cows every day, twice a day or more, right? Um, it, it taught you like the discipline. And in running, there are so many days where I'm sure you know you get up and you don't want to do your run or you don't feel like running. And I like the the metaphor that you had there is it's kind of similar and it teaches you um, that discipline before you got into your competitive running career. There was already that foundation. So with no one in your family doing running or cross country as a sport, like your older brothers didn't do it, um, what kind of got you into the idea of, hey, I'm going to go run cross country? I have a cousin who I think she's maybe 15 or 16 years older than me, but she ran cross country. And as a little kid, I really looked up to her Mm. and um, she was also a basketball player. So again, like I was the kid who I tried everything. Like I even wrestled in third grade because my brother did it. (laughs) And fun fact, I wrestled my husband. Pretty sure he won. (laughs) In the third Um, grade? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's kind of our fun fact, but um, I did not go out for wrestling again in fourth grade. One year was enough. Um, But that was just kind of my personality. Like I wanted to try everything. I was the football manager. I did softball. I did um, volleyball. So anything that our town offered, I wanted to try it. I even tried theater and things that I'm really not talented at. (laughs) Um, So With my cousin being a runner and me looking up to her, though, when I was going into seventh grade, I was convinced that I was going to be like a volleyball player, um, basketball player. I would have said my favorite sport was softball. And I actually came home one day and I don't even know how the idea popped in my head. Um, But I was like, Dad, like, would you be disappointed if I tried cross country and I didn't do volleyball this year? Which... To be honest, Victoria, looking back, I'm shocked that I was willing to give up volleyball because I was very passionate about it at that time. Um, But my dad being the person he is and really supportive and excited for us to try new things, he was in full support. So we went and we signed up and I had my first practice in August of uh, 2007. I had my first practice and I had never run before that and I loved it. So it was kind of a love at uh, first try for me. Wow. So your first practice never running before and being in middle school, what did that first practice consist of? So we really just kind of got to know each other a little bit. Um, Being from a really small town, we already knew everybody, Mm -hmm. but we got to meet like our coach and he had us run one mile. And at the end of the mile, he... Um, actually checked our heart rate and he just kind of smiled at me and he's like, you're not even tired. Go run another one. Oh. So I just like kept running <laughs> <laughs> and ran another mile. And I, I was just having a blast. Like I didn't have any of the fancy watches that told me how fast or far I was going. In fact, I used to set the stove timer and I would take off running and see if I could beat it back. 
Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Wow. So like you were, you had like this endurance or the ability to run, even though you had never done it formally, mm -hmm. but like with your background with doing all the sports like volleyball or oh, I think you mentioned softball and, and pretty much every other sport they offered, right? Um, <laughs> you had like that endurance somehow um, built up over the years in your childhood and so that's really cool that it got to be exposed on that day so did the coach obviously knew right away like that first practice you had maybe some talent or you were maybe potentially going to be a good runner on the team um, were you like the best right away or how did your story really play out from like seventh grade till high school or end of high school yeah, so I actually had never seen a cross-country race either when I joined the team. And in Wisconsin, they have three different colored flags that tell you which way to go. Um, they have a red flag, a yellow flag, or a blue flag. So I actually, in seventh grade, um, you also can't run with high school in Wisconsin. Oh, like, you okay. have to run middle school, you can't run up. Hmm. So I asked my coach if I could just tag along to see a high school race because I had no clue what cross country was yet. And we took the school bus over to Glenwood city. And it was like after one week of practice. Um, and it just happened to be that there was a middle school race that was being offered. So he was like, Brianna, do you want to go race?" And I was like, Oh, yes. So he went over and signed me up. Uh, it just happened to be that I was wearing my basketball shorts, a cotton t-shirt, and like these really big clunky running shoes. But he had his cell phone that I could call my parents on and tell them like, hey, I'm racing in 45 minutes or however soon it was. Um, so my dad likes to tell the story that he was driving like 90 miles an hour to get to this race because he was not going to miss it. And um, I had the starting box to myself. And I had no clue what a starting line looked like. But he, um, so my coach and my dad were standing next to each other. And my coach was like, you know, she'll probably be around, you know, the middle of the pack. This is her first one. And we came out of the woods and I was winning and I was smiling and having a great time. Um, so I ended up actually winning my first race Whoa. and had a lot of really like positive momentum and a positive experience that I was able to kind of keep that success going in middle school and then into high school um, through going to state and cross country and track every year. Whoa. So I would say I did have some success right off the bat. So you were like, really, yeah, like winning your first race, going to state every year and being from like the small town, um, that's probably, you know, more, more likely to happen maybe. But if you would have been like in a really big school district, like maybe some of the suburbs here in Minneapolis, would you like comparatively speaking, do you think you would have like won that many races and like gone to state similarly you know, it's hard to say for sure because I wasn't in that situation. Right. Um, the only thing I can compare is I did win the Roy Gria, which was against the city schools. Um, so I did win that my junior year of high school. And senior year, I was winning until about 800 years ago when I had a hamstring injury and my coach pulled me off the course. Whoa. So I, you won I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to think 
no, you won. No I mean, if know. you won GRIAC, that's like a huge, that's a huge race, and you won it in in high school. Wow, that's really impressive. Well, that's really cool. So, did you for like Wisconsin State? I'm not super familiar. Did you like win state or like place? I actually had to run against Molly Seidel every single oh year. Oh my gosh. So um, she was a year older than me, so I was very grateful to stop taking second place to her in every single event and actually have my senior year where I could um, go after state titles. Um, But I like to tell the story just because Molly is so gritty. Her senior year of track, um, so my junior year, we were racing against each other, and she broke her foot during the mile, or sorry, during... Yeah, during the mile, she broke her foot on lap three, and she finished, and she still beat me by 15 seconds. Like, oh she is just... Oh, my gosh. Whoa. That's insane. So, you... Okay, so, like, you went to state, and, like, mm-hmm. she got first, you got second. Most years, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I so think my cool. freshman year in cross, I took fifth, um, mm-hmm. and then in track, I think I was, I was, like, top five my freshman year. Um, and then sophomore, junior year, it'd be like the second and then senior year, um, for cross country, I was injured. So I took second, but our team won, which is an all time favorite memory. And then I was healthy enough to come home and take home a title. I should say in track for the mile and the two mile. Wow. That's like really incredible and probably really cool to watch like what Molly Seidel, um, kind of did after, after college then, especially cause you have that connection of uh racing against her at the state meets and stuff that's really cool I didn't realize that yeah yep so it's been fun to follow her journey and just remember our goofy conversations after our races and um hear her interviews now and I'm just like okay like you are definitely the same Molly that I remember right wow genuine and goofy yes well that's awesome cool connection there for sure um, and then just like moving into to college, um, where did you go to college and did like your running play a role in where you picked or were you more just going where you felt was good for education or was it like a mix of both? Yeah, so I toured all over the country and be honest, I was pretty intimidated by the Division One scene. Mm-hmm. I had different offers and even a couple full rides from some D1 schools, but um, there was just some conversations that stood out for me about, like, this is a business. If you get hurt, like, you can lose your scholarship. And being from a really small town and being a farm girl, I was terrified of cities. Like, it's kind of mm-hmm. comical that I live in Minneapolis now. <laughs> <laughs> so I found myself really attracted to the division two scene where I felt like it was a little bit more of a balance, but I would have the opportunity to go race against division one athletes. Mm. And I felt like Minnesota Duluth where I um, ended up going really had that as like the full package. Like they were a division two school that didn't just run against division two. We would also travel and um, compete against some D one as well. I also love that it was like three hours away from home. Mm. So me being my like small town girl, it wasn't too far away. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't realize that 
you had gone through the whole process of like touring D1 schools and getting some scholarships. And that's just really, really interesting how you said, did the schools actually say to you like, hey, if you get hurt, we're going to take away your scholarship? Or was that more when you talked to like mentors or just uh, like other people? It was actually some of the Big Ten coaches um, that told me that. So that was really intimidating for me, Um, especially, you know, I had been really healthy, which I was thankful for. But my senior year of cross country, I was dealing with that hamstring issue. And um, I think I officially signed with Duluth in January of my senior year. So when I was hurt and thinking about, a couple other D1 schools that I was still considering, Mm. I just had that plane in the back of my head. And I was like, there's no way. Like, I want to be an athlete, but I also am going for education. I'm going for a place that I feel like I can really create a community and thrive in. And I don't want that pressure on me. Right. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really like cutthroat competitive for sure. And especially, I don't know, really like the cost of tuitions and stuff but if you're going to like an out-of-state d1 school and they pull the scholarship from you it's like whoa you really that's uh the hefty uh tuition bill as compared to maybe like some of these two schools that are in state tuition yeah well I'm, i mean duluth well wisconsin and minnesota have uh reciprocity right um but i was lucky enough i actually had a full ride to duluth um wow. so i had all my college paid for and that was a huge blessing in itself that's incredible. So they offered you full ride scholarship and did they have that same clause of like, if you get injured, we're going to pull it from you or that wasn't really talked about? It wasn't really talked about there. That's nice. Um, I, and I can't even say, I don't know if other girls ever experienced their um, scholarship being pulled. My scholarship grew each year. Um, oh. And then I actually got married in college and I had FAFSA. So um, I was just in a really um really good financial situation going through college which was really helpful yeah that's really incredible awesome to hear that and being able to be in the running world and hear that people are getting fluoride scholarships I think that's really cool and definitely speaks to um your talent level and like how great of a runner you were in high school and in college because that's definitely a big big deal for sure so moving in from doing college running you were probably a standout runner there as well and doing really well with your running and when that was coming to almost a close that chapter in your life of your running through high school running through college did you ever know what was going to happen next with your running in college or what did you see for your running future um you know I actually didn't know that professional or elite running existed in college like I had heard of Shalane Flanagan and I knew the Olympics existed obviously, but I never really understood how people got there or that there were post-collegiate teams, um, that there was contracts with, um, different, you know, shoe companies. I knew none of that. I was just in my own happy little world running and competing in college. But, um, my senior year, um, I was having a lot of success in the steeplechase and the 5K mm. and a meet director from Nashville, Tennessee called my coach and invited me to compete in the steeplechase at Music City Distance Carnival. So I went down and I had a breakthrough steeplechase race. And for me, I was like, oh, that was great. Okay, my season is done. 
Well, I was actually staying with Gabe Grunewald and her husband, Justin. And they were like, Brianna, like this time qualifies you for the U.S. championship uh, track meet. And I didn't know that existed. Uh, so they actually, <laughs> I know, I'm a little embarrassed to say I had no clue any of this existed. Um, but so Justin and Gabe actually helped me sign up for a USATF membership. They helped me sign up for the national race. They told me all about like post-collegiate running and even like what teams are around and available in the country to reach out to. So if it hadn't been for that, I honestly don't think I ever would have known that I could even continue. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So you made it all the way to your senior year. It was like the last meet basically that you were doing. And then it just so happened that your time like qualified you for something and you didn't even know it existed. That's that's wild. I feel yeah. like it's almost cool though because you were really just doing it out of the sheer joy of competing and just being in the sport of running and it just kind of took you to that place of being at such an elite or professional level um, and you didn't even really like realize that it was happening and so there wasn't maybe like a ton of pressure or do you feel that you still were putting a lot of pressure like on yourself. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I didn't know right. um, that there was opportunities post-collegiately. But um, unfortunately, the college scene that I did have was not the most healthy. So there oh. was a lot of pressure on performance yet. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's tough. And what's interesting is did your, well, I don't want to like, throwing you under the bus but did your coach there at um at Duluth did he or she did they know that you potentially could have done like some of these professional or like elite USATF sort of things after college or was there not really like a lot of uh, talk or support there you know I don't even really remember if we talked about what comes next right um so I'm not sure on that one right yeah and I mean, maybe that would have been something you talked about eventually, but it's cool that um, Justin and Gabe, they were the ones that kind of took you under their wing and started to share with you about some of the post-collegiate USATF and other races that you can do um, outside of the college scene. So after you did that, um, that final track meet where you did the steeplechase, what did that summer look like? How did you continue your running career? Because I know eventually you landed on the, maybe it was called Team USA Minnesota when you started, but you're basically on a professional running team as of right now. Did you join that immediately after college or how did those first few years after college go for you? So after running at the Music City Distance Carnival and qualifying for outdoors, outdoors was two weeks later. So I actually oh. went to Sacramento and I competed at the national championship race. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to talk to some coaches of different teams that were in the country. Um, so those two weeks were kind of crazy in between because I was trying to email and learn and figure out like if I could even meet these coaches to talk to them while they were out there. But um, I really narrowed it down to, I think, three teams that I was interested in. And I went and I spent some time with each team. And I also went to what was called Run Pro Camp. And that's out in Washington, D.C. area, put on by RRCA. And Team USA Minnesota was a, one of the original 
Um, I think they started the camp in collaboration with RRCA. Okay. Cool. So um, I also had the opportunity to really get to know my coach, Chris Lundstrom there. But this camp was all about what does it look like to be a professional athlete? Here's, you know, tax information. This is agents. This is kind of how sponsorships work. So it was a really educational weekend. Um, but at that time, you know, I talked to a few teams, I visited a few teams, and I was really attracted to staying in Minnesota um, for multiple reasons. You know, my husband had job opportunities here. I would be close to family. And the team just really felt like a healthy environment where everyone was going after the same thing, right? Like we all wanted to become the best version of ourselves. And by getting together, I just felt like it was having that momentum that I wanted to be a part of. Yeah, that's really cool to hear that it felt like unhealthy environment and you were able to find a team in Minnesota or in the Minneapolis area, which isn't too far from where your parents live and where the farm is and everything and being able to kind of stay in that local area is definitely a huge benefit, I'm sure. Um, But I know, yeah, I kind of wanted to ask you about this. I know you went to school for teaching and I believe you were um, a physical education teacher at Wyzetta High School, which is a pretty big school here in the Twin Cities area. Um, and so tell me a little bit about how like you started your career because we're having this whole conversation about you going to do like this pro runner camp that summer you graduated from college. Were you also simultaneously at the same time like applying for jobs and trying to find a coaching or a teaching position? <laughs> um. Victoria, you're going to get to know a lot about my competitive nature. Um, <laughs> so I, so the summer um, that I went to USA's was also the summer, and that was the summer of 2017. I also joined Team USA Minnesota that year, but I still had to do my student teaching in the fall. Oh. So I was being coached remotely, and I was student teaching up in Duluth and Hermantown, Um, the fall of 2017. And I would just drive to Sunday morning practices down in the cities, which is about a two and a half hour drive. So I could like run with the team at least once a week. But I was trying to do the workouts and student teach at the same time. Now, I was also a very low mileage athlete in college. So my first few months with Team USA Minnesota or now Minnesota Distance Elite, was really focused on just trying to get me used to building a little bit more mileage. But when I was student teaching, I um, had a supervising teacher who was like, hey, a job opening just popped up in YZ. It closes today. And I'm like, oh, I should apply just for the like experience of applying and going through an interview if I get a call back. So I like whipped together an application submitted it. I got a call back. And this is where my competitive nature probably gets bad because I was like, oh, I've gone this far. Now I want to like get the job. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So I went through three rounds of interviews. And I do remember the first time I saw I you come up and over a bridge and then you can kind of see the whole school. And I was like, is this a college campus? This is huge. This is like my entire town. (laughs) You know, as I was, you know, leaving the interview, actually, the um, 
principal's assistant came running into the parking lot after me and I was like oh geez Brianna like did you leave something there (laughs) and they're like we want to give you the job we want to give you the job so I was like okay like I'll take it and so it was a little bit of a whirlwind but I accepted the position and I actually started in January so it was like um finished in teaching in December moved right into teaching full-time at Wyzetta in January And this also meant, though, that I had to find somewhere to live. So I ended up renting a bedroom from a former teammate's mom who lived in Wyzetta and lived out of her um, bedroom because my husband was still up in Duluth finishing school. And I was trying to balance training um, and teaching full time, which didn't necessarily... um, it didn't go the best. Oh, right. It was a lot of like 4 a.m. mornings and just the chronic fatigue of trying to put in, you know, 70, 80 mile weeks, trying to ask the school board if I could have um, either unpaid leave or use PTO to go to certain races and try to keep that part of my life going too. So it actually um, was two other Phi Ed teachers at Wyzetta. I think they have like nine. So it's two other of the FIAD teachers who came up to me separately. And it happened that these two teachers also coach cross country at Wyzetta. Mm. But they're like, Brianna, like, this hurts us to say because we want you to stay here and teach. But you can teach forever. You can always come back. You can't keep running forever. We think you should quit and pursue running full time. Oh, wow. And Yeah. And for me, I'm not a quitter. Right. So I was like, no, I made a commitment. Like, there's no way I'm going to just, like, not take this opportunity and appreciate what I have here at Wyzetta. So after a few more conversations with them and eventually a conversation with the principal, he said the same thing. He's like, I think you should pursue running full time. So I joke that I had the shortest employment record at Wyzetta because I was only there for a semester. (laughs) But it was a very challenging but special six months. Oh, wow. But I'm glad I'm not teaching full-time and training full-time anymore. Right. Yeah, that is really interesting. I didn't realize, like, the extent of the whole story behind it. But, it yeah, it just kind of seems like the cards fell into place for you to work there and just get that experience and opportunity. And it's almost like it's a good thing that you you had that experience because it really made you realize, like, yep, I want to pursue running as, like, my main full-time focus. And then um, maybe later, right. You can always get back into the teaching world and whatnot, but yeah, that's really a cool story to share. Yeah. So hopping back into more of the career stuff, um, I guess, yeah, just being a professional runner, I think you had mentioned before I kind of sidetracked to the whole teaching career, uh, tidbit there that you went to that RRCA running camp where they, had a bunch of pro runners and they talked about the sponsorships and like what it looks like to be a professional runner. And I'm not really super familiar with that world myself. So what were some of the biggest things you learned from that experience? And what are some of like the biggest things that you wish other runners or if you could share with other people, what is it like being a professional runner or how do the sponsorships work in, in a small summary? 
Yeah. Um, it's something that I'm still learning even after being a part of this world for five years. But I felt like my biggest takeaways from the Run Pro Camp was really about um, just creating your own platform, kind of branding yourself. Mm. We do live in a world where social media um, has a lot of influence for sponsorships. So that was an area that I personally struggle with. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't, I don't have that creativity um, side of me very well. So um, that was something that I really tried to focus on building. But um, also just kind of the way it works is, in a way, the more followers you have, the more reach you have, the more attractive you are to shoe contracts. Um, and then working with an agent who is someone who kind of speaks on your behalf to companies, to races, they can help get you deals such as, you know, if you go to this race, you'll get just an appearance fee. So they'll pay you to show up for their race just so they can use your name. Um, or they'll get you different contracts with like shoe companies. Um, so you might see people who are in all one brand of running apparel, um, either that they really, really love that brand or they're actually sponsored by that brand and getting paid to wear their clothing in racing and in training. Um, so there's a lot to it. Um, and it's something that I think is very dynamic and ever evolving. That's really interesting to hear about that. And, you know, with people like, Molly Seidel, maybe you know, but did she have a large following on social media before she um, got into the, that whole, would it, was it the 2020 Olympic trials that she had that really breakout race? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know if she did or not. I'm not someone to go look at how many followers right. people have. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I... I mean, she was very well known in the running world. Right. Um, and sometimes, I mean, there are those athletes who have such an impressive background that they could be terrible on social media. Right. And, you know, companies won't care because they have such an impressive resume. Right. So it really, it really is so individual. Um, but I would say most of the time it's about the person, what they do, and their reach right yeah I feel like Stephanie Bruce she kind of crushes it on the social media platform for sure but yeah that's really interesting to hear about that because I didn't realize it's almost like you have to well you don't have to but it's almost like the more of a reach that you're getting through your own work like the better off your sponsorships and whatnot could end up being for you which is which is kind of tough because it puts you in a situation where you almost have to like work harder a little bit, and I'm someone I don't want to uh, be fake on social media. Yeah. I'm not saying that if you post a lot, you are. Right. There's people who are so genuine and just very gifted at doing that. Yep. But for me, it feels forced. Like I have to sit down and really think about, okay, what am I going to post? It's very easy to post my daughter because <laughs> I think she's the greatest little person in the whole world. But you know, that's not running, so it's kind of a weird. Right. Um, there are those companies who love like the mother runner um, kind of portion of, I guess, like the mom runners that are in pro sports. Um, 
And then there's other ones who probably prefer that's more running-based content. So it's really hard to know, um, but I think having an agent who can speak on your behalf does make a huge difference. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool to hear about that side of things and definitely give some perspective to maybe people who are listening because sometimes I think people don't really realize like how big of a uh, impact the social media or just like that presence online can have which probably didn't exist like 20 years ago which I guess there's pros and cons right like the pro could be you can get a great reach like if you're really good at social media but the con might be like if you just like you were saying you don't really know what to share or sometimes I even struggle with that like I'm like I don't know what to post you know and it and to feel like the pressure from it makes it almost worse yes it can feel a little bit like a job I'm pretty sure actually after the run for or run pro camp I remember being like I am going to set aside like schedule time each week where I'm focused on social media and I like even tried to become a blogger because I knew that was like another avenue that could be cool and like create reach. But I'm I'm not a blogger. I maybe wrote like a couple, and then I was like, "This is this is not <laughs> right." Uh, so it it looks so different for everybody and how they get there, but. Yeah, definitely. Cool to hear about it. But on a different note, kind of moving in, I know you mentioned about how some pro runners or some sponsors are cool with the whole mother runner identity on social media and maybe gearing more towards that. Um, That's something that's kind of new in your life in the last year or two, just with pregnancy and then postpartum training and I'm sure it's definitely been a big adventure because you are someone who's using your body almost like for two things right you're uh you're an athlete and you're doing this professionally and then at the same time wanting to start your family and going through the pregnancy and postpartum journey I'm sure it was quite the experience so how was pregnancy and trying to conceive and all of those things for you yeah, so we um, decided to start a family in early 2021. Um, originally, we thought like 2020 after the Olympic trials would be a good time, but then the trials got postponed to 2021. And in the spring of 2021, I was actually in breakout shape. Like I was in the best shape I had been in. My coach thought that I could run a 15, 15, 5K. And I was doing a 10K and I remember stepping and I felt something in my foot pop. And that was in April of 2021. And I couldn't put any weight on my foot. Um, And we just kind of tried to keep coming back. But my foot just like wasn't going to sustain my weight. And there was just no more time before I needed to qualify for the trial. So Mm. when we kind of realized that like we just ran out of time and it wasn't going to happen, my husband and I were like, well, like, it'll be 2024 will be the next opportunity. So let's try to start our family. Um, And I felt really blessed that we actually were able to get pregnant month one of trying. I know that's not always the case. Um, So it was something that I didn't take for granted. Wow. Yeah, that's like really, really cool that it happened right away for you guys. Because I know in the distance running community or just like knowing of friends where sometimes training at like the super high competitive level can just cause disruptions to the cycle or just cause Mm -hmm. um, difficulties in trying to conceive. But even even people who aren't runners um, run into those sort of things. So it's it's really cool to to hear of your 
journey and obviously it's tough because you were you were hoping to go to qualify for the Olympic trials during that time and then having the injury but it was like almost meant to be I think so and I will say you know when we did start trying to conceive it was coming off of an injury so I was at a very low training load um, I don't know if that played a role in my ability to conceive um, more quickly, but um, throughout training, I've always been very mindful of what my body is telling me on if it's too much or not enough. Right. Yeah. And I do think that that's something that not a lot of people talk about is the enamoria. Gosh, I don't even know how to say it. I'm not even going to try to of like where people like lose their cycle and like push through it and all of those things. And it's definitely good to hear that. It sounds like you've been mindful of that almost your entire professional running career, which is super good and probably a testament to you staying healthy um, for the most part throughout your running career and having such longevity. Yeah, I think so. And I do feel like we're starting to have more conversations about it in the sport. Um, I just feel like I've seen more over the last even three years but again it could just be that social media is continuing to grow and become more uh available you're right and I do think it has become more of a a conversation that people have I feel like maybe 10 years ago five years ago it wasn't heard as much but now yeah with the social media and with people just feeling more comfortable sharing those things and sharing their stories is definitely um a good thing because We don't want people to be compromising their health over um, a sport. So it's good to hear. And then how was your training during pregnancy? I mean, being an athlete, I'm sure you had maybe thought about what it would be like running while pregnant. Were you surprised by anything during pregnancy? Yeah, I I was surprised by how cautious I was. Mm. Um, being someone who is used to pushing through everything and being highly competitive, I, it's almost like when I became pregnant, I went on the opposite end where I was actually very cautious. And um, for me, I just felt like I didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize the pregnancy um, and just really valued um listening to my intuition on that and so my training looked a lot different than it normally does I would say trimester one I was maybe at like 60 to 75 80 percent of what I normally would train at for mileage not for intensity and um trimester two I was probably at like 40 to 50 percent and then I ran up until I was 34 weeks and I was probably at more like 20 percent of what I normally had run in the past um but throughout all of it I rarely went anaerobic um I kind of followed this advice from my um OBGYN who was actually a really avid runner she's like if you're getting oxygen the baby's getting oxygen So I really listened to that throughout pregnancy and would just follow like the cues that my body was giving me. If I noticed that I was starting to be highly out of breath, I would slow down or I'd stop and take a rest break. Um, I would say I was more of a cautious runner, maybe compared to some other um, elite moms that I've seen or followed their Mm -hmm. training, but I don't think I would change it for anything. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you you were cautious, but then your comeback is just super, um, super impressive. And I think, you know, being pregnant and all the physiological changes that go on, I've heard and I've seen articles where people say it's like 
when you're pregnant, your blood volume kind of increases and then it, it stays high for a couple of months postpartum. And so on that level, it's like maybe um, there are changes that almost benefit as an athlete, but obviously going through like childbirth and all of like the pelvic floor trauma, or if you end up having a C-section, like having major abdominal surgery, um, I definitely think that kind of outweighs any sort of benefit that you would get from. Right, right. So talk to me a little bit about like postpartum. Did you think that it was going to be easier or harder than it was? I... I thought it would be easier. And the reason is, is I had so many people tell me, oh, you're an athlete. Like you'll be able to go natural birth, no problem. Um, You're going to just bounce right back. Mm. So I almost had that expectation going in that like it would be smooth sailing for um, the labor and the delivery. And I thought I would just like lose all the weights and be right back to a high level. And that really was not my experience um for labor i was lucky it was a quick labor i was in labor for a total of 11 hours Mm. but i got to a point where um i was just really struggling i couldn't sustain my body weights i was um throwing up every minute i was feverish um hormonal shakes and i like looked at my husband and i was like crying and i was like would you be disappointed if i got an epidural (laughs) Because I was, like, at that, like, putting the pressure on myself, like, if you don't go natural, you're weak, which is so silly, but, like, in the moment, you're you're not thinking clearly. Right. And now, like, I have a very different opinion um, than I did then. But, um, you know, that was the message I had been going in with, is, like, if you can't do this, like, how are you going to go do 400-meter repeats at, you know, a really fast pace? Like, labor and training are very very different in my mind oh yes Um, yes i agree with you 100 (laughs) i think i tried to make it be like if i could think of this like you know 400 meter repeats you know you have like the hard contraction and then you get your break but that did not work for me um but then afterwards you know you hear of these um moms who are able to like go and run like a couple days later Mm -hmm. and that blows my mind and I'm very in awe of them because I couldn't even sit on a chair for three weeks (laughs) (laughs) right no totally well and then you also had I mean relatively I believe you had just like an uncomplicated like vaginal delivery like ideal Um, conditions and even so with that it you still had that experience and yeah, I do think sometimes on social media, there's people where they, they kind of show, oh, yeah, like 10 days postpartum, I'm going to go run or like two weeks, three weeks. And um, that's great for them, I guess, if they feel so good. But I do think that there is almost like that false sense of hope that um, like a first time mom maybe thinks, oh, that's like a realistic expectation when in reality, I mean, there's just so much recovery that has to go on in those first mm-hmm. like six months even postpartum that, oh absolutely yeah yeah so I would say the postpartum journey um was definitely different I actually didn't start I think I started run walking at 10 weeks postpartum mm-hmm. um but I would run for like 20 seconds at a time and it was not like I was out there for hours doing that to like add up the running it would be a 20 minute you know run for 20 seconds, walk for like two minutes. Um, so I started off really, really slow and I didn't even start continuous running until 12 weeks postpartum. And even then it was a 20 minute run. 
um, a few times a week. So there was a lot of fitness that was lost and a lot of work that had to be done. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. So giving birth in February and then 12 weeks, I mean like two, three months later, that's May. May. Yeah. May, June. So really we're talking like six, seven months from going from the run walk of 20 minute total, like hardly barely running in that. And then going to 242 marathon. This was pretty impressive. So how how did you like build back like did you um how did your coach kind of approach it what was your training like we definitely went by effort more than setting specific paces for a really long time um so i think it was end of may that i started run walking june i started doing like 20 minute continuous runs um i actually had a lot of struggles with um, like pelvic floor issues mm-hmm. during my comeback to running. So I also had to monitor that. So it was a very slow comeback of just trying to add a few more minutes um, each week and maybe trying to do some like easy to moderate or add in, you know, some light strides. I don't think I started really doing any, even like progression runs until, oh gosh, July or maybe even August. Um, and at that point, then we were starting to sprinkle in a little bit of threshold with, you know, uh, four by five minutes at threshold or, um, threshold mile repeats, but I did find that I was able to adapt to the higher mileage very well. Mm -hmm. The workouts were really challenging and even going into CIM, I, I'm not as fit as I was before, mm-hmm. um, which was a little discouraging, but also really exciting for what could come in the future. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like not there wasn't like a ton of time that you had to dedicate to like marathon specific training within that block and having like a solid base. It's almost like you had to build back and then boom, marathon training, and then like do your race, which is kind of cool because then maybe there wasn't as much pressure on yourself going into that race. But I think I remember during the fall, like, did you go to race the Indy half marathon? And maybe there was like a a few races that didn't go as you hoped in the buildup to CIM. Like, how did that work with like your confidence level? And is there like any advice or maybe sharing the story from your perspective? Yeah. Um, So I raced a few times leading up to CIM. My first one was a 5K here in the cities. Um, That was like August 30th or August 31st. I jumped into a Tracksmith Twilight 5K. And it was really hard not to be like, okay, so like, you know, I used to run 1538. Now, like, I need to be sub 16. Like, I actually, it went through my mind, but I was really proud that I went out and I was like, I just want to try to run 1645 today, like make it a really good workout. I had to figure out how to pump in the parking lot. And mm-hmm. like, there's so many new factors that I've never experienced before that made it almost comical. And just having like that lighthearted attitude towards it. Um, so I, yeah, I did the 5k and then I did city of lakes half marathon, which was in September. And that one also didn't go well, actually. Mm -hmm. I remember around mile eight or nine, it was just like my legs were just so tired and just cramped up. 
And I was having some issues just from trying to build back and get stronger again and pushing maybe a little sooner than I should have. Right. Um, I did do TC 10 mile in October and that one actually went really well. I had a great time. I had so much fun and I executed the plan that my coach and I had talked about. And that was starting conservative and trying to get faster as I went. And for those who know me, that's something I really struggle with. Like I, I want to go hard because I'm a 5k runner at heart. Right. Um, trying to bring that over to a long distance was a little weird and a little hard for me to get used to at first, but Indy was in November and that was my final race before CIM. And I was really hoping that I would actually PR in my half marathon mm. just because my marathon PR isn't, isn't an accurate depiction of what my fitness was at. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay, like maybe I can snag a PR today. And I felt so sick. So I was stopping to use the porta potties. Oh, um, I was basically, I turned it into like a moderate run and I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll just get a good workout in. But for those who know the course, it's kind of like one long straight, um, got out and then you turn around and kind of come back. So there's points where it's like, I don't know, like how do I get back? <laughs> so also, I'm actually, I'm very grateful for this experience, Victoria, because also being a track runner, I didn't realize how hard it is to get a ride back. Mm. If you drop out of the race. So I dropped out four and a half miles away from the finish line and there was no shortcut back. Um, and the like police officer that was working in the intersection that I stopped at, he's like, Oh, well, like we'll definitely get you back. Like it's no problem. And I was like, okay, so cool. Like soon, you know, it was kind of what I was thinking. Well, nobody was coming for me. So eventually this officer bought an electric scooter pass for me because there was an electric scooter on the side of the road and I had to scooter my way back to finish. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I didn't laugh at it now, but I probably looked, it was probably just like, just this like, really grumpy person like on an electric scooter getting blasted by 20 30 mile per hour wind oh and it was just not the lead up that i had hoped for i remember being like how the heck am i supposed to go run a marathon in four weeks when i couldn't even get through like six miles of my half today right yeah that's got to be super frustrating like being a few weeks out from your first marathon and then just not having a good half marathon experience and just wondering like, Oh no, like what am I in the shape? I think I'm in and just all these self doubt sort of things creeping up. So how did your coach maybe respond to that or what sort of discussions did you guys have to maybe help regroup and get you feeling good for the marathon? Yeah, we, um, kind of talked about factors that might have played a role in mm. feeling sick. And one thing that um, we kind of came up with that I do genuinely think was the cause of such a poor race. Um, for me, once my cycle returned postpartum, mm. my hormones have been really struggling to try to balance out and figure <laughs> figure itself out. So um, I feel like each time that I would get my cycle, I was really struggling with extreme fatigue, GI distress, um, and I happened to get it during the race. Oh. So it kind of, it all like made sense of like feeling so sick. 
and just feeling like I wasn't myself. So we just kind of had to chat about that. But I think having something that I could like look at and be like, okay, like we, we know the reason it's not fitness. It's more of my body just trying to normalize again. Um, which to be honest, Victoria did also cause me to struggle with that thought because I'm also someone who I'm like, nope, that's not like, that's not going to be a reason for me. Like I will power through. And I do believe in the science that you actually are stronger when you're on it. Oh yeah. Uh, I think there's enough out there. But I think when, depending on the person, like when it comes at the time you're trying to race, sometimes if you do struggle with like the other factors, like G. But yeah, with the whole cycle thing, I know that can be really frustrating postpartum when you get that first cycle back and maybe it's different than what it was before. And um, was that like actually your first cycle back postpartum then? I think it was my second. Oh, your second. Okay, right. Yeah, I've definitely noticed myself when after having children, things are a little bit different and that can be frustrating in and of itself because it was never really an issue prior to having kids, like any time in the month, right? Like it seemed like my performance wasn't impacted, but maybe just getting more in tune with my body or things just being a little different. It seems like I race better during maybe one or two weekends per month. Whereas, yeah, now it seems like it's good to hear that other people have similar experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were you still, um, did you have to like pump before the races and stuff? I stopped pumping. I want to say I weaned off like two weeks before Indy and I had originally like hoped to be, you know, pumping or breastfeeding through a year, but, um, I just wasn't making enough of a supply anymore. And um, my daughter was just kind of getting fussy and I could tell that she wasn't being nourished enough. So we ended our breastfeeding journey a little earlier than I originally anticipated. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you definitely had a lot of experience like running while having to do pumping and breastfeeding and all of those things. Do you have like any advice for people who are in those earlier postpartum months and trying to navigate um, breastfeeding, pumping, all of those things? Yes. Be kind to yourself <laughs> um, and be flexible. So I I remember thinking that it'd be like a rigid routine, um, but like most of us have probably experienced now being a parent, um, the schedule is not always in your control. So I would find that it did really, really help to pump before I would go out for a run just mm-hmm. to try to decrease any engorgement or um, discomfort. But there were definitely times where, you know, I I would have to drive a half hour to meet my team and I didn't want to pump in the parking lot and mm-hmm. accidentally flash any of them. Um, so like I might end up pumping an hour before I actually start running. Right. So it really is a little bit of a Tetris game of trying to fit all the pieces in so just be kind to yourself give yourself a lot of self-grace yeah that's really good advice and one of the things that I'm just remembering is that it changes so quickly too it's like whenever the kid is in one phase it's like it'll change so maybe they're napping in a a certain schedule when they're young and then it's always like this ever 
flowing season of changes and I loved having my routine but at the same time I feel like your routine is always constantly changing once you get in a routine it's like you're out of it absolutely definitely so then going into CIM did you feel good like how many would you be at the same point in your cycle like how many weeks apart was Indy versus CIM it was four weeks so we actually had this conversation we're like there's a very good likelihood that you might end up feeling this way again. Um, and actually like I ended up getting my cycle like three days after CIM, which I'm like, Hmm, that was probably terrible timing anyways, but I felt great. Um, so it didn't, yeah, it wasn't a factor, I guess, during my race, I felt really good and, um, learned a ton actually during the race. Wow, that's actually really impressive that you were able to run that time, like, during that time of your cycle, because they say that's, like, the worst time to do a marathon, so, yeah, even more. Is that that a time where it's, like, the hormones are really high or they're really low? I always forget which one is which. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, like, like, when your performance is at its worst. So, again, another encouraging thing going forward, I guess. Yeah, totally. And so tell me a little bit about that debut marathon. I mean, your first marathon, which I think is always surprising for people because you're in your mid-20s, late-20s, and you've been running for probably – how many years have you been running? Uh, 15 years now. Right, so like 15 years to do that first marathon. You probably have like tens of thousands of miles under your belt, and then this is – your first marathon, but you spent so much of those first few years out of college and stuff focusing on that 5k, um, trying to go to the Olympic trials Mm -hmm. in the 5k and all of that. So definitely having that strong aerobic base and then going into this event, um, having heard so much about marathons and even you had coached runners to perform in marathons and your coach at, um, your coach for the marathon, he has done several marathons and maybe had been a good mentor for you as a coach. So what are some of the things you learned going through it firsthand? Yeah. So he, um, my coach, Chris Lundstrom actually was a very talented marathoner and he's also a coach who is just very steady and gives really good advice. So I knew the advice that he gave was something that I could trust. Um, He's also not someone to tell you he thinks you can do something you can't, which Mm -hmm. I really appreciate. But um, granted, I didn't listen to his advice. (laughs) He told me, he's like, granted, do not go out faster than 6'10 pace. And I did. and it was really hard because it felt so easy. Right. And I just kind of laugh because sometimes I have my coaching hat on where I'm like talking to my own athletes. I'm like, please don't like, don't go out faster. And then here I am as an athlete struggling with that advice myself. Um, I should have listened to my coach and um, I felt great in the beginning, which you should. It's a marathon. It's a very, very long ways. But I remember just feeling so comfortable and like I was part of like this really exciting opportunity I was running with um this huge group of women going after the Olympic trials qualifying time and it was just fun to be surrounded by all these people going after the same thing but I also was struggling I felt crowded and Mm -hmm. almost a little frantic especially so 
the elites, we have our own water stations and we get to bring our own water bottles um, so we can put whatever fluids we want in there. So all of these women, all of our water bottles, there was 40 of our water bottles on one table. And you knew like, okay, I knew I was row three, position four. So it's like you knew where to look. But when 40 women are trying to grab a water bottle off of a eight foot table at the same time, it gets really chaotic. So I think if I would have started a little bit slower, I wouldn't have had the chance to run with this pack, but I think I would have been a little bit more relaxed, especially in the fluid stations, because I think after about 10K, I actually decided to step back from that group and I found myself really enjoying my own space. Wow. Yeah, that sounds really intense. And I guess I never really thought about it from that perspective is like, 40 of you are all trying to grab it at the same time because you're all running like at that same OTQ pace, which I kind of want to talk about that OTQ pace for the marathon because, I mean, maybe it's unfortunate, but they recently changed it from, because for years it was like that, I think it was 244, I believe. Uh, 245. 245, yeah. So anything under 245 got you in. And now it's like, they really crank down on the standards because what is it now? 237. That's quite the jump. So like eight minutes, especially when you're that fast already. I mean, that just, it really like weeds out so many people um, to have that opportunity. Do you know why they change the time? So I might, this might not be a popular opinion. I agree with it. Right, um, right. The reason is, is, you know, if you look at the 2020 Marathon Olympic Trials, there was like 500 women there. Right. And that's just crazy. Um, maybe I do hold like the Olympic Trials should be a smaller group of people. And, like you want to try to keep it as like this really elite um, achievement to try to like work towards. So if you could narrow it down to more like 100 or even 150 I just feel like that's a little bit more appropriate for an Olympic trials. Um, so that was a big um, reason, actually, was just the vast number of women who made it in 2020. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like from 2016 to 2020, I think the qualifier was like similar or the same. But there were just like hundreds, probably more people that qualified for um 2020 and yeah I mean I've I've had similar thoughts about you know because it seemed like almost everyone was hitting the mark which is great because I mean that means so many people are getting fast and there's this whole like drive for women achieving men to Mm -hmm. for them achieving these really high um standards of like running really fast times because it gave them like a mark to almost shoot for. So I think that was really good. But like you're saying in the realistic realm, like looking at it for what it is, like the Olympic trials is really to narrow down who is going to run in the Olympics. And when, like you're Mm -hmm. saying, you have such a wide spread of finish times at the, the trials, it's almost like they had to do something to make it more, um, maybe like competitive up front or however you might might phrase it. And I also just want to say, um, even with their drop down to the 237, I mean, we're seeing women rise to the challenge and hit that time. 
Um, it's kind of like, you know, the first person to break four minutes in the mile, it, it couldn't be done. And then one person does. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody is on the male side. Um, right. so I really do think that it's okay. Like, I think we'll rise to the challenge of it. And yes, it's hard, but that's okay. It's meant to be hard. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and I do think it's a little interesting. Yeah. Cause I'll see on social media, people at CIM who qualified, um, and you read like what their PR was before. And I'm like, how did you take five, six minutes off your time? Cause that, I mean, that's a lot to take off. If you've been running for a really long time, you're kind of at that place where, um, it takes so much to get like a small sliver off of your marathon time. But like you said, people are really like rising to the occasion. And I definitely think that that could be a benefit of them, um, lowering that time standard down. So with that time standard and that being, would it be the 2024 trials then? Yeah. 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 So do you know like when or if you, um, will be like trying to do another qualifier or what the plan is for that? Yeah, so I'm actually going to do Grandma's Marathon this June up in Duluth, Minnesota, and I'm hoping to hit um, the qualifier there, and I'm really hoping to be in the position to say more than I just really want to hit the qualifier. I'd love to be in a position to say I want to run, you know, lower 230s, Um, but that'll be the next marathon that I do. Before then, I'm actually going to do a mix of some longer road races and some track races. Well, yeah, that's really exciting with grandma's coming up and gosh, you know, now that it's 2023, it's so funny because when we were talking in 2024 Olympics and stuff, it just seemed like it was almost far off in the distance, but now it's like, wow, really it's like a year away, right? Yeah. I think the marathon Olympic trials are like February 3rd, February 2nd of next year. So it'll be here before we know it. Wow. Do you know when the last like qualifier race is for um, that Olympic trials? You know, my coach and I talked about potentially doing Chicago, um, just depending on how some things go. So I know I could still qualify there. um, And that one's in October. But I don't, I don't know if you could still qualify at CIM. Right. And that's in December. So I don't know what the cutoff is, actually. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting but to find out. But not that you want to be doing, you know, CIM and then two months later no. doing a trial. Like, that would be terrible. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And I'm just, my memory serving me correctly. I believe in 2019, there were some people that qualified at a fall or maybe it was a CIM. And then they went and turned around and did the trials in 2020. Um, and I was like, wow, that's a quick turnaround for, for doing that. But, you know, lifelong goals and... I guess when mm-hmm. push comes to shove, you got to do what you got to do. But that's exciting, though, training for the second marathon. So does it seem like you're you're kind of moving into those longer distance races? Or do you think you'll um, try to take a stab at, like, the 5K stuff again? I would like to be back into, like, a 5K PR shape. But I really think that I'm – starting to shift more towards the longer distances. Um, And if I can improve on my longer distances, I mean, fitness is fitness. Um, It will help me out in a 5K. But I have just really found that the road scene is really fun to be a part of. Um, Track is great. Like, I love the fact of, like, clicking off laps and hearing splits go off. But 
you don't have the same kind of atmosphere. There's not the crowds. And from like a professional uh, standpoint, there's also really not the opportunities for any financial gain unless you are, you know, doing the um, Diamond League races and I'm just not there. Right. Wow. That's interesting. So do you feel like it's, it's, does your coach kind of play a role into like deciding these things and does he go maybe by like age or something like that? He does. So we just have a very like open dialogue of, um, first off, like what am I passionate about? Mm. What excites me? Um, because if it's someone else forcing you to do it, you're really not going to enjoy the process. And really, why are you doing it? Right. Um, so it is an open dialogue. And um, through his observations and just, like, through his experience of, like, hey, like, this is what I did at my first marathon. Here's what you see of me in practice. Like, what do you think my strengths are? Where do you think I'll have more success? And also, I just really have found that I love the long distances. So, um, we actually did have our meeting, and that's why we decided we're actually going to do a little mix of track and roads this spring, but the road races will be a little bit longer, um, and the track races will be fewer just as I lead up to grandma's. Right. No, that's really cool. You can kind of do a mix of both, and I definitely think, yeah, with that debut of 2.42, that time is really fast and definitely shows, like, some promise and I'm sure you got really excited about it I know one of the first things you said to me when you finished was that you can see how people get addicted to them or how they want to do more and more so it's good to see that you have another one on the schedule absolutely and you know that was ultimately my goal with CIM was I wanted to finish and say I want to do it again I had a great experience rather than do my first marathon put all this pressure on myself and be like, I hated it. I never want to run again. Cause unfortunately like we hear of those stories and I just didn't want that to be my story. Right. Yeah. I mean, you hear about that a lot. I feel like, um, in the running community, especially when you do, I think it's like when people do marathons before they really want to do it. So maybe you were friends with people in college who almost like immediately after went into hardcore marathoning or something like that but I really like your progression like how you've kind of taken your time with things and now um being in your mid to late 20s kind of making that transition I'm sure it's an exciting time and at CIM I think it was really unique that you were able to meet with some of your athletes here at Run for PR. Yes I honestly I think that was a highlight of my weekend I got to meet with three different athletes and um, we actually did a shakeout run together the day before. And as soon as I finished my race and had access to like my phone again, I was checking and tracking them and, um, really special just to share in the moment of they all crushed it. So that was really fun to see. Wow. That's super exciting. And it's really cool to see it come full circle and you're able to give back to the running community, your passion. And it's really cool that you're able to do the online coaching because, like you were explaining before with the sponsorship and being a professional runner, um, it's nice to be able to have like a virtual type of position where you can coach athletes from around the world and be able to share with them all of your wisdom and expertise. So do you have any sort of like coaching shout outs or things that you would share with people who maybe are looking to get into coaching or who are maybe thinking about working with a coach? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I think for people who um, are thinking about coaching, I'm trying to think of how to say this, Victoria. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, I think sometimes there's this idea that if you're fast, you're a really good coach. Mm. And unfortunately, we see that sometimes happening. So if someone's like really interested in being a coach, but maybe maybe they're super fast, maybe they're not super fast, like they just need to ask themselves first, like, why do you want to be a coach? Like, mm. are you passionate about the educational aspect of coaching? Because that's the part that personally, I love teaching people why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and you have to be willing to continue to learn yourself. Um, so I would just put that plug, I guess, for people looking to coach or thinking about coaching for people who are thinking about working with a coach. My, um, thought on that is just really, (laughs) um, I guess what I would say for someone who is looking at working with a coach is if you are even thinking about it, give it a try. And there's so many different um, ways that working with a coach can just benefit you. But I really think just having another person in your corner who can walk alongside you through like a running journey, through setting your goals to help keep you accountable And just to also make sure that you're not doing too much too soon. We see that all the time. I think just makes a really beneficial um, environment for them to be able to see their goals come to fruition. Um, So I would say give it a try. And I mean, with Run for PRs, it's a month to month contract. So you really have nothing to lose from trying to work with a coach for a month. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And even coaches have coaches. So maybe people are thinking, oh, well, she's like a professional runner and stuff. So she almost needs one. But almost like you were saying, your coach told you don't go out any faster than 610 pace at CIM. And you probably like knew that in the back of your head and someone can tell you that or like you can know all the rules of running. But yet sometimes when you're like in that moment and you have that runner's high, it's just like really hard to reel it in and stay in control and stay like on it. But having, I think probably, you know, this, but having that knowledge in the back of your head that like you have to stay accountable to like this other person and that you're going to almost like report back to them and you're going to have to kind of grow from that experience is, is really cool because we all have goals And I think working with a coach can definitely help you stretch a little bit outside of your comfort zone to reach those goals. And that's why I think working with a coach at any level can be beneficial. Oh, absolutely. Just having another set of eyes is so important because they'll catch things. Like my own coach, he sees things that I don't see in my training. Mm. And hearing him point these things out, it only helps me to grow from what he has observed and be able to make the changes I need to continue growing. And that could be, you know, as simple as like, hey, we need to slow down on your easy days. Or it could be something like, you know what, I think um, I'm starting to see some red flags. Like, Mm. when's the last time you've gotten your iron tested? Mm. So just having that accountability factor is just huge. Right. Yeah, there's so many little hidden benefits here and there. And then once you get to know the athlete, like I'm sure Chris knows you, 
very well. And so you're able to, like he's able to pick up on little cues here and there. And so I think sometimes the longer you're working with an athlete, the longer you have the same coach, it's almost like you really get to know each other and you're able to give that feedback on like the runs like Chris was for you. But that's a really good point. I know we've talked for quite a bit, so I don't want to take up any more of your time, but it is really exciting to hear about your story and all the things that you have learned along the way. And we have loved having you as a coach here on for PRs for over two years now. And you're actually taking on some new athletes in the new year here for the first time in you know, a little bit here. So if someone is looking to work with Coach Brianna, we would love to get you set up with a free seven-day trial chatting with her. If you fill out the form on our website, www.runforprs.com, and at the bottom of the form, request to work with Coach Brianna, we can get you guys connected. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. <laughs>